Maestro Hamilton Souther is a true shaman in every sense of the word. I've had the opportunity to sit with him in an ayahuasca circle and be guided by him through a variety of different experiences, including a plant dieta with the plant rose, which I was able to learn so much about what that technology is really all about. Hamilton is someone who's been immersed in traditional shamanic culture and lore, and the stories he has are absolutely incredible. It sounds like something out of Star Wars or something out of some fantasy novel that you're reading, but when you actually start to experience what the medicine is opening up in these non-ordinary states of consciousness, you start to wonder perhaps all of this is exactly as he's saying. So either enjoy it as incredible stories or enjoy it and open your mind to the possibility that perhaps there is something that is happening beyond our normal purview, beyond our normal understanding of how the universe works. Either way, through this podcast, you'll understand how to access the sacred space within our own hearts for any ceremony you're going through or just to enliven and enrich your own peace and happiness in life. Enjoy this podcast with my brother, Maestro Hamilton Souther. But before we get started, I want to remind you guys about one of my favorite products at Onnit, and that's joint oil. Now, fish oil is one of those things that all of us should be ingesting because if you look statistically, our omega-6 fatty acid ratio to omega-3 fatty acid ratio is way out of whack. And when that happens, when we have too much omega-6 and not enough omega-3, it creates an inflammatory response in the body. So the best thing that we can do is supplement the body with good omega-3 fatty acids, which typically come from fish oil. That's one of the best places, one of the most bioavailable places to get it. So we put that together in joint oil. It's got curcumin, it's got some other great healthy fats for you in there, but it's also going to really boost your omega-3 fatty acids, which is going to help your body just thrive. And not only that, it tastes like an orange dreamsicle. Like it's awesome. I just squeeze it out of the bottle into my mouth and I look forward to it. And that's the thing about a lot of the fish oil, especially the liquid fish oil, is you don't really look forward to it. So the krill oil is also great. We have the gel caps of krill oil, and there's some advantages to krill oil over fish oil, but there is nothing as convenient and nothing I'd look forward to as much as just reaching into my fridge, popping off the lid of the joint oil, squeezing some in my mouth, and knowing that I'm doing my body the service of providing those good, healthy omega-3s and also creating that balance between the entire fatty acid profile in my body. So check it out. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You'll save 10% on joint oil. There's also a full vitality and joint support collection where you can check out a bunch of different things there. But I highly recommend you check out the joint oil. And if you're not into that, definitely check out the krill oil as well. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey for 10% off. Maestro Hamilton, my brother. It is good to see you, man. It is good to see you too, Aubrey. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, really well. So for those people who don't know, during the time we spent a couple years together working closely together, and I probably learned more about my spiritual understanding of the universe in that stretch than any stretch in my life. So I owe you the deepest debt of gratitude for everything that was transmitted during that time. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Well, first, thank you so much for saying that. Those were some incredible years that we were doing that stuff together, yeah. and it was wild for me as well. And uh, certain <laughs> milestones were certainly hit, and uh, it's, you know, super stoked about that for sure. Thanks so much. Yeah, 
Absolutely, man. So for people who don't know your story, so we did a podcast together, but I didn't know you at all when we did the podcast. So after we did the podcast, we did two in a row, the first day and the second day. And then I got to know you for the next couple of years. So there's a bunch of stories and a huge story arc that I want to get into now that I know your story a little better and I've experienced and drank the medicine with you. So let's start, let's kind of start from the beginning where you first got your call to do ayahuasca, right? Because that was in the early days. There was, you know, Terrence McKenna maybe speaking about it in whispers if you're paying attention, but it wasn't like it is now. No, no, not at all. I mean, this was like right out of 2000, 2001. And I had graduated from the university and uh, I'd studied anthropology. I was, uh, you know, kind of starting that, that movement of looking for something. And in the middle of all of that, I had this huge spiritual awakening and it just throttled me and it changed my entire life. And in that awakening, it was really clear that I was supposed to go off on this journey to find this shamanic apprenticeship and I was supposed to become a shaman. And that wasn't like how it is now. Like no one was talking about that at that time. It was super right. out there. And, uh, and so I was just like, well, how do I do this? So I ended up going to South America, backpacking around and looking for, you know, people, anybody who could like help me in a direction associated with this. I had read some books, like you're saying, there were some whispers here and there, and I was trying to follow, you know, those threads of those whispers and ultimately found myself deep in the Amazon and, uh, you know, sitting, sitting with a shaman about ready to pour some ayahuasca and, you know, that experience just literally changed everything. Life was A up until that point, And after that night, life was B. It was just a whole new direction. Right, right. And so what was that? What was that awakening? What was that moment? I mean, the, the ancient Greeks, they talk about a, something called the daemon, and they externalized this entity, which is, you could say your potential. It's that thing that whispers to you. A lot of people might call it your soul, but they called it the daemon. They called it, you know, that thing that's always whispering and urging you to kind of follow the path of your destiny was it one of those moments where just some aspect of you or maybe even something that felt not even so much like you or a different different kind of octave of you was communicating with you and letting you know like look this is what you're supposed to do you got to go i mean how did that come about i mean i would say that you know for those people who haven't had these kinds of experiences, and I know you have, right? And we've had them mm -hmm. together and stuff. So it's, it's kind of hard to put it in words if you haven't had it. But you go from hearing about a lot of things that are outside the box, and then all of a sudden you are outside the box, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and like it's, it's, it at that point is like, it's just, it's just real. So you've heard all this stuff about like the universe and you've heard the stuff that's like about, you know, scientific explanation. And then you've heard like the mystical explanations and you've heard some, maybe some spiritual explanations. And then all of a sudden, it's just like in through and all around you happening. And so it's very hard to discern whether that's you, whether it's not you. Is it a mirror? Is it the highest version of you? Is it your destiny? Is it your soul? Is it your highest self? Is it source? <laughs> is it divinity? Dude, it was all wrapped up into one. I mean, I mean, in my case, I had bushes that were talking to me that had transformed into animals. Like, okay, so that's just really out there. And then there were there were 30 foot wingspan hummingbirds that had rainbows shooting out of them. And they looked as real as you look right now, right? And they were talking to me. And I know that that can't happen in a normal experience, but that was happening as much as this is happening. And so it was like a complete destruction of one ethos and, and an awakening of one that at that time in my life, I desperately wanted to have happen and be real. I didn't want 
life to only be this finite concept that we were like, you know, just here to live and then die. And then, and then that's it. And like, leave your mark on the world. And I wanted there to be tr some kind of truth, at least to the idea of something greater in the mythology. I didn't have a specific religion in mind or a specific context in mind, but all of them talked about a greater, greater, you know, purpose. I just wanted that to be real. And mm -hmm. in that night, it was just like, okay, here's your path. Here's what you're going to do. Uh, here's why your life has been good and bad the whole time of it, like a complete deconstruction down to like nanoseconds of life itself, of every interaction. It was like a complete psychological reset. And then it was also this, you know, unveiling of this is what you're going to do. And in my case, that was start to live really far out in the middle of the Amazon with this, you know, really old 85 to 90 year old master shaman and start learning the ways of the indigenous people as being like a guy from California in his early 20s, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, very so much like that. <laughs> very yeah, much like that Ramdas like story that. where he, Yeah, that Ramdas story where he shows up in India totally skeptical and then afterwards, you know, his whole trajectory changed. Were you having, just to be clear here for the story, were you having these visions prior to ayahuasca or were you talking about after you started engaging in the path and drinking the medicine? Well, in the spiritual awakening, I started to have visions and I started to do shamanic practices to, you know, get in touch with that. And that was way before I met like visionary plants or sacred plants. So that was through breathing techniques and authentic movement and ecstatic dance and trance states, because mm -hmm. I was trying to, you know, really optimize. At that time, I was an athlete. I was uh, practicing to be a professional golfer. So golf was my was my jam, but I was also really into extreme sports. So I was an extreme snowboarder, rock climber, mountain biker, that kind of stuff, and you know, mountaineer. And then I also golf. And I so I was, you know, really interested in peak performance and human optimization and uh, really looking at it from a very personal perspective, like how I could get better, you know. And so I was reaching into the the depths of the mind and meditation and stuff like that as a means to try to uh, just get better at, at my craft. At my sport and then uh you know within the middle of all of that i had this like legit spiritual awakening and i uh, you know it's it's like one day you don't know anything about spirit and the next day it's happening mm -hmm. and you know that to me was just like being really aware of uh you know like literally presences it's kind of odd it's a little bit out there but it was like i you know people get weird well, we're gonna get way out there rooms. in this we're gonna get way out there in this podcast yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. but you know like people just we're just warming people up right now yeah yeah but you know it's like it's like you walk into a room and you feel a presence you know you get into a house yeah. and you're like oh i don't really like the vibe of this place you know there's all sorts of ways like someone gets a vibe someone's gonna call them and then the phone rings like there's all these things that are like kind of part of this and then all of a sudden hd 4k technicolor just happened and and then it was then it was a, a process right after that of like trying to put that together you know first like was i crazy that was like a big issue for me because i didn't want to be like you know completely delusional and so i you know went to a psychologist you know and the psychologist was like no actually what you're telling me sounds pretty rational it's just in this box that people call mysticism and spirituality that i had no right. context for because <laughs> they weren't really talking about that at the country club right yeah, it's not it's not golf course chatter no sure. not really you know so it's like I mean, when they're talking uh, like, birdie when they're talking birdies on the golf course it's not 30 foot hummingbirds with rain no no things. definitely not and they're not open to that kind of talk either right but they're they're really superstitious i mean they do talk about the golf gods so they got mm -hmm. this like polytheistic idea you can even hear them <laughs> on tv talking about it you know 
So, yeah. so they are pretty superstitious about anything that can make their game better. So, so in that right. realm, they're a little bit like more open, but they're definitely not open to like, you know, rainbow hummingbirds and really like going, you know, super deep into, you know, just, just concepts that are outside of normality. So I was like wrestling with that. And, uh, you know, ultimately I turned to shamanism as a way to try to explain my experiences because those were those were the the locuses where there were stories that were at least kind of common to what was happening to me. Right. So throughout my university years, I had read, you know, cultural ethnographies on people going into tribal societies and talking to shamans and having connections with them and the kind of stuff that they talked about. And there was something akin to the experiences I was having and the experiences that were in those books. So shamanism became the thing, you know, sort of sort of the, the field to look into to try to understand this. But, you know, like you said at the beginning of this, at that time, no one was into this. There was no one who was like right. really writing about it. There was it was not part of any kind of pop culture. No one knew the name of the plants. You know, maybe they had heard about like the Native American church and peyote and like, you know, the guys from the doors going out into the to the desert and having an experience. But it was nothing like how it is today with, you know, scientific studies happening around, uh, you know, healing mental problems, abuse, PTSD, and all sorts of stuff through visionary plants. Yeah, so. the, sci the science wasn't there at all, for sure. No, exactly. So before you, before you wound up with Don Julio, that you know, 85-year-old wizard that you wound up and, and gave you your apprenticeship with Don Alberto, and I want to talk about them, but you had a bit of a, a, a rocky entry, which actually drove you to them deep, deep, deep in the jungle to get some of your healing, right? Yeah, well, I mean... I think one of the biggest like misnomers in uh, spirituality and shamanism is that the people that are involved in it are there for your good. And that's not really the case when you really get into it around the world. You find out that there are a lot of egomaniacs and a lot of people that are really into it for themselves. And they go by different names. You know, there's like these, they, they call them brujos, they call them dark shamans, they call them wizards, sorcerers. If, and it's, it's across the world in these tribal cultures that do this. It's all over Asia, it, the Indian subcontinent you know, through Eurasia, it's, it's just there. There's all these stories about like the light and the dark and the good and the bad. And so I actually, uh, you know, unwittingly and really in my own naivete and ignorance ended up in the hands of some bad guys up front and they did some pretty heinous things to me. And so I actually met Alberto, who was Julio's prime student, looking for healing from those guys. So, right. you know, the first the first series of ceremonies that I did in the jungle ultimately turned into some, you know, really negative experiences that were pretty brutal and uh, really life threatening. You know, in, in all honesty, it was a truly life threatening series of experiences. And I was looking for healing from those experiences that finally got me into the hands of Alberto and Julio. So let's let's just let's unpack this a little bit because so for people who don't know exactly what ayahuasca is you know maybe give them the the 10 cent you know explanation of what ayahuasca is just from a you know materialist reductionist standpoint and then talk about you know some of the somatic and psychic experiences you were having and how drinking the ayahuasca in the presence of those bad shamans opened up their ability to kind of fuck with you and and what that was like Sure. I mean, first of all, ayahuasca is a tea. So the easiest way to understand it is it's just a tea and you make tea all day long, right? You take some plants, you boil it in water and you get a tea. It just so happens that these, these native guys, you know, figured out that this tea, if you mixed a vine called ayahuasca or vine of the soul with these leaves called chacruna, which have dimethyltryptamine in them, 
that the combination would make an unbelievably potent tea, like much stronger than your matcha green tea, much stronger than a cup of black yeah. tea. I mean, this was going to be literally that. the strongest tea that you were going to probably come across, you know, this side of the earth. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you've been there. Yes, and, uh, and, and so ultimately you make this tea. There's a lot of different recipes for the tea. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways people make different admixtures and stuff. They boil it for a long time. There are a lot of rituals around making it. They really get into the mythological ritualistic expression of this because it's considered a very sacred medicine. And uh, ultimately you come out with this very refined tea. And then when you drink the tea, that's when, uh, you know, this something else starts to happen that is, is uh, you know, mind-blowing. I mean, really, the easiest way to say it is that it's mind-blowing. Like, in my mm -hmm. first experience, I drank the tea, had no idea for how much I should have had. It didn't seem like very much, right? And I found out that it was way more than I ultimately <laughs> needed. So right there, it just showed me how wrong I was, right? And, and then I thought everything was normal, and the tea is known to make people vomit and purge and defecate and, you know, just come out in all different directions. Part of that is physical, and part of that is completely psychosomatic, where just the, the, your state of consciousness cannot hold the physical together anymore. And you literally are coming out all ends if necessary. And they call that purging, uh, which right. is also quite intense um, and usually has unbelievably visionary psychological connections associated with that. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, I think after about, you know, typically 15 minutes to a half an hour of drinking the tea, uh, the shamans start playing a shakapa, which is a you know leaf instrument that makes a kind of a shook sound. So it's kind of like a rattle, but it's not as sharp. So it kind of sounds like shh, 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 shh. And as that starts to happen, the entirety of 3D reality around you starts to pulse with the sound. And then it starts to open up in a, in a multi-dimensional state where you can start to see geometric patterns and colors very much like the designs behind me, but in and through the air. And I know that's really hard to describe, but it is like you are all of a sudden within a matrix that was not previously there before, literally like tying the air atoms and molecules together. And it's all, it's all interwound, interweaved, and you are now part and parcel of it. And there's literally no extracting yourself from it. You can't be like, <laughs> okay, pause button, uh, you know, reset the machine. <laughs> hey guys, I would like this to stop. I tried all of those things like thousands of times. They just do not work, right? There's no like Correct. stop button on the elevator and you, uh -huh. you are like about ready. Like I remember my first ceremony, I thought, okay, if it doesn't get stronger from here, I'll be okay. And it didn't stop getting stronger for four and a half hours. Like it literally got stronger every second for the next four and a half hours. And I was not okay. Like I had lost all composition of myself. I vomited at least a hundred times. I defecated all over the ground. I mean, it was wild. Like it was wild. But at the same time that you go into this like hyper lucid state. So this is not like getting drunk on alcohol where you're like sloppy and drooling and don't know what's going on in your brain mind. It is super high definition technicolor, and it is as real as anything. I mean, it's realer than the realest lucid dream. It's realer than your normal states of consciousness. Most people are blown away by the, 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 the heightened sense of reality within the experience itself. So much so that a lot of people come out of it saying that what's going on inside that state of consciousness is real. And what we're experiencing is like a really muted version of that in our normal mm -hmm. consciousness. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's where the, the somatic really starts to kick in. 
And you, you enter into a, a field of consciousness. Now, people can call that spirit. They can call it another world. They call it other dimensions. They call it lots of things. But I just like to think of it as a field of consciousness that has a lot more going on in it than your normal waking state. So there could be anything. There could be voices talking to you. There could be images of stuff coming and, and looking at you. There are many people have reported seeing the eyes, like millions of eyes looking at them. And then, then this kind of telepathic uh, communication starts to happen where it certainly seems like something else is either in you or around you or there, and it's communicating with you and it's faster than you are. So it's answering your questions before you're done asking them. Like you're, you're getting to the thought itself and it's already telling you. It's correcting mm -hmm. you when you have things completely, you know, backwards. You might be thinking it's one way. It's like, no, 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 no. Look at it like this. And it, you know, this is common now. I mean, thousands and thousands of people have spoken about this, that it doesn't just tell you verbally. It's not, it's not like there's a whiteboard with a teacher telling you the math equation. It's showing you in, in multi-D, in real time, what's going on. And in it, it's also got your ego and it's got your super ego. It's got your whole mind. It's got your past. It's got your present. In many people's cases, it's got their future in it as well. And it's teaching you in this like super intense, real time, uh, often too intense, it seems like at the time, uh, you know, kind of a grip. It just kind of like gets you into this grip and then it is on. And, you know, in the Amazon, they have a whole mythology for it as being li just literal. They're like, yeah, that's what it is. You talk to the head medicine spirits. That's who they are. The mystics are just like, yeah, you had the experience. Now deal with it, dude. Like yesterday, <laughs> you didn't know about this. And today you did. Yesterday, you didn't know there would be an iPhone 12. Now today you do. Like, just deal with it. Like, but it's so outside the Western box, right? I mean, it is right. like so outside it. It can throttle you really hard. You know, I mean, it took me about seven years to fully grasp what I had, you know, gotten myself into. And I, had, yeah. and I, you know, trained. I mean, I spent my first years training as an apprentice. I, I won an apprenticeship with Alberto and Julio. I became, a, a, in, in essence, an equivalent of a blood relative of them and was given the gift of being one of the first uh, Western outsiders to really be allowed into an indigenous apprenticeship. And it was, uh, you know, an unbelievable honor and, uh, and a gift to have that happen in my early 20s. Diet is really the foundation of all health and thriving. You know, I think it was Hippocrates that said, let food be thy medicine, right? So all of these things that we're ingesting in our body, these inputs create the output that allows us to be at peak performance, allows us to be at peak health. So it's incredibly important to pay attention to that. Now, of course, cooking your own food is awesome. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things, but I don't want to do it all the time. So when I reach for a solution, I like to have something that's convenient, that meets my nutritional needs and goals, that also tastes good and is sourced really well, that the produce is organic, that the meat is animal welfare level five. And the thing that meets all of that criteria is trifecta nutrition. So if I'm looking for a meal that's fast, that's on the go, that's going to meet whatever desired nutritional goals I have, I know that trifecta is going to support me. And that's why they support so many of the athletes that I know as well, because it's just a way to make sure that you're ingesting the type of food that's going to support the optimized lifestyle you're looking for. So go to trifectanutrition.com slash amp, and you'll get 30% off of your first order. 
which is huge. I'm pretty sure they're not going to make any money on that first order because the food margins are really small, and I know that for sure. So definitely check it out. Go to trifectanutrition.com slash amp and just see if they can support you by delivering these meals to you and help upgrade your nutritional goals whether it's vegan paleo keto whatever you're looking for they got your back trifectanutrition.com slash amp that's the best explanation of the ayahuasca experience i've ever heard in my life and i've heard them from you before but you really you really reached in and grabbed the essence of it and i couldn't agree more with everything everything you're saying there so when you're in these non-ordinary states of reality and you're with us you're with a bad shaman i just want to go to this point because it is a caveat it is something for people to be mindful of it's incredibly important that you go with someone who's dedicated to like true medicine and dedicated to your healing because if they have these egoic motivations even if they operate simply by the laws of the jungle what are the laws of the jungle where this medicine is from the strong eat the weak you know you don't even have to put the whole morality that we have there you can just understand if they're operating in the animal kingdom of the strong eat the weak well they're strong in this world we're weak in this world so they may try to eat us and and what that means is you could have serious ramifications that come from it like you experienced which led you to find you know the greatest healers that you can find and i've been fortunate enough to experience medicine with alberto and it's phenomenal and yourself as well trained underneath that lineage but what is what was it like you know opening yourself up as a novice and then having someone you know tinker with tinker with your energetic field at that level of expression but i think the easiest way to try to describe it is imagine a venn diagram you know, imagine like the, the MasterCard logo, right? Mm-hmm. One circle overlapping another circle. And in our normal life, it's sort of like you're over here and I'm over here and there's this big distance between us. And when you get into these states and you get into these fields, you overlap. And there's this kind of mental overlap, spiritual overlap, energetic overlap. And the field that you represent, which is scientifically measurable. So like around you, you could put sensors around you and you could see that you are emitting energy right now. Your body is, your brain is. I mean, it, this is now part of the science and it's you know been validated. So that field really opens up and gets really strong. And as it comes in contact with others, there are people that learn how to manipulate that field. And healers manipulate it for the purpose of healing. They learn how to like get into your energetic field literally make changes in there just like a surgeon makes changes to the body for you know a beneficial purpose for you and then you come out of that state they literally remove themselves from that aspect of your field and your field's changed and you know there have been literally now you know probably millions of miraculous kinds of healings that have been proven from this form of medicine and i think it's really important for the listener to understand that this medicine has been happening in the amazon for at least five or ten thousand years So this is like going back to like the origins of the understanding of medicine and the indigenous people that came up with this lived in a forest that is the most diverse uh, biosphere on the planet. That really just means it has the most going on in it in terms of life and it has the most compounds and it and they were part and parcel of that they evolved there and and learned how to live there and learned how to find medicines there and you go on a walk into the forest with you know any kind of shaman and they can point out hundreds of medicinal plants to you they're just like oh yeah this one's for colds that one's for stomach aches that one's for purging parasites that one's for viruses you know i mean it's like they know this this uh this 
pharmacopoeia, which is like no difference than going into a Walgreens or a pharmacy and, and just mm -hmm. seeing all this stuff there that, you know, they understand. So, you know, these, these people have learned these consciousness arts as a form of healing. And, and, and some of them are not very, uh, you know, helpful people, like you're saying, the strong eating the weak. And those people get into your field and they mess with you. They, they can mess with you in many different ways based off of their intention. It could just be a power trip. It could be to try to make you sick. And it could be, you know, all the way to the point of actually trying to take your life, which, you know, is unbelievably scary and something that I've been through. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievably brutal and something that you need to really be careful about uh, when, a, you know, getting involved ultimately in indigenous shamanism from anywhere in the world. This isn't just Amazonian specific. It's literally everywhere there are these power games and uh, there's really no set rules of engagement. Uh, so, you know, it, it really is the, the luck of the draw in terms of who you interact with. When you're in what that is the, space what itself, is the field you're guide? In... What is the field guide? Just let me pause you real quick. You know, because for people who are looking for shamans, obviously recommendations from people who understand and people, you know, like yourself and and you know, myself that have experienced, you know, great curanderos and curanderas and people who've served great medicine, those recommendations are super helpful. But if you're exploring, what what's the field guide of something to look for? Is it is it a knowing that you kind of have in yourself? Is it that some red flag that appears before you drink when you know you should kind of back off? Or what are some of the things that you can, you know, kind of instruct people that might be helpful? I think there are the two main things is look in the eyes of the shaman you're going to work with. Like really look at their eyes. Their eyes are a window into their soul. And the other thing is see if they're willing to answer your questions. Hmm. You know, because if they're shifty and hiding things and you want to interact with them and understand them, you know, do as obviously as much research as you can, but then also look at them and ask some questions and see if they're open with you. I mean, if I'm going to go get surgery and put my life in the hands of an anesthesiologist and a doctor, I'm going to look at him in the face and be like, you know, where'd you get your schooling? And do you know what you're doing? And how many times have you done this? And I think right. of it the exact same way with the shaman. I want to know that this person's incredibly well-trained and I want to know that they, you know, have a lot of, uh, you know, positive healing stories behind them and that they're still really clear and present and willing to share themselves and be open because you're going in there together. I think one of the most interesting things about shamanic medicine is that the shamans drink the medicine, too. So they go in there with you. They don't just administer it. So they're a participant. They go into that space to work with you. And so you want to, you know, really be trusting of your guide. And I think you're, you can think of them as a healer and a guide. And, you know, you want your guide to take you to the right place. And so if, yeah. it, if you're going to do something potentially dangerous, you always want the very best guide and you don't want to skimp on that, you know, and you definitely don't want to play roulette. Right. So you want to you want to do your homework, you want to do your research. And, you know, I, I don't really like saying these guys are good guys. Those guys are bad guys, you know, and things change over time as well. It's really a question of, uh, you know, making that decision in that moment and knowing that you feel good about interacting with that person. And then if you accidentally ever find yourself in a situation when you're not where you're not OK with it, the, the real thing to do is go deep in your heart and call source and surround yourself in source and start invoking literally the biggest, baddest spirits you could possibly ever imagine. And it doesn't matter where you want to pull them from. It could come from, you know, angels and Hindu deities. It could come from, 
uh, right out of Marvel Comics. You know, I've heard people calling different kind of superheroes and stuff. It does not matter. In that space, you just want to call all the support you possibly can to you mm -hmm. and to shield yourself from literally everything else that's going on around you. Just put yourself in it like a bubble of white light or an igloo and just stay inside that space. Get your heart to open up. Don't freak out. Don't get scared. If you do, just let it pass and just keep invoking source and love and light and you'll get out the other side of it and you'll just know not to participate with that person again. You know, mm -hmm. so there is a way to be able to protect yourself if you get into that situation. Um, but really, I think, you know, common sense and, and getting a, a good feel for the person you're going to work with is what's most important. So that happened to you. You started having some, you know, scare, instead of hummingbirds and rainbows, you started having really dark visions. I remember you told me you just collapsed in the shower one day, you know, things were bad things were kind of going on in your life. So this spiritual awakening, which began as beautiful after these experiences with the, the shamans who are practicing medicine in that darker way you started to have some negative experiences and then ultimately you were like i gotta go back and i gotta go find somebody to make this right and i think when you look back at your whole history of life it was perfect the way it happened right like it couldn't have happened a better way because ultimately that drove you in some ways to find don julio and don alberto right yeah absolutely i mean you got to take the good and the bad with life you know, and at this time I was a pioneer. It wasn't like yeah. there was a well-trodden path for this. And, you know, I didn't know that it was taboo to train Westerners. And I also didn't know that in the native traditions, the way they train you is they toss you to the wolves and they see who survives. And so what happened to me wasn't considered like a, by the locals, anything outside of the ordinary. They were like, yeah, mm. that guy tried to kill you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that guy tried to kill you. What do you think they're doing here? That's how they train each other. The ones who survive, survive. And I just had no idea that that was the world I was getting into. I mean, it was like, yeah. it was like, you know, gangster. It was yeah. intense. And, and it just was, like you say, the strong eating the weak. So, so if you want to be in there, you know, foreign guy, get in there and see if you can handle yourself in the ring, you know? And, uh, you know, so I think you just got to take the good with the bad. And, and that was... I think important for me because that really shaped the rest of my training. What, what it did was it stripped me of naivete really fast and it taught me how serious this really mm -hmm. was. And it also showed me that I wanted absolutely nothing to do with that dark path. So it wasn't a tempting thing anymore because it was so accosting and so destructive that I really was, you know, solely interested in medicine at that point. And then it also let me understand what real medicine practice was, because when I got in the presence of it, it, it showed me the, you know, the opposite. It's like, how would you know if you had only ever seen one thing and then, and then you didn't have anything to compare it to? So it showed me that comparison. And when I got in the presence of Alberto and Julio, it was like night and day. The stuff that Alberto mm. and Julio were doing was just, you know, literally right out of the best sci-fi movies you could have possibly ever, you know, grown up watching as a kid. It was all rolled into one and they were such unbelievable guys. And we would get into these ceremonies and they were loving and they were caring and they were protecting and they were defending and you could feel it. And you could tell that they were not there doing anything harmful to you. And you could also sense that they had your back the whole time in that multidimensional field. So now you know you're in the field and then you look over and you see that you have these like unbelievable masters with you. 
you know, supporting you and they're, they're treating you kind. And, you know, they referred to me at that time as what they call a nuevo nacido, meaning a newborn baby. And so treating you with that tenderness and that kindness, instead of this like throttling you, you know, kind of test, they were, they were there protecting and, and unveiling the space little by little by little so that, you know, you could, you could, you know, grow and get some strength and, and get some understanding and learn how to survive a ceremony and, then, you know, learn how to ultimately keep your composure through the ceremony and then, you know, start to practice in the ceremony and be open enough to be able to start to learn directly from the plants, which is uh, by far the most amazing kind of learning I've ever experienced because it's multi-D and it's real time and it's downloads of real knowledge and you, you come out of the ceremony with it and you don't forget it. It's life-changing in the moment itself. Um, it's healing in the moment as well. And you experience that transformation. And so once I was with them, it was like I had found this grail that I had been looking for. And uh, when I finally got accepted to an apprentice and, and they let me, you know, really in that world, it was just, uh, you know, truly the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift I've ever received. You know, and, they, you've been, they, and you've been sharing that gift, you know, through your own lineage and even through you trained Christians. So I've gotten to see three parts of that lineage. And really for people, if they want an analogy, it sounds all I never met Don Julio, but all the stories, it sounds like that's Yoda. Right. So you got Yoda and then he trained Obi-Wan who's Alberto, and then you got you, Luke Skywalker, and then you got like Christian who's coming up. I don't know, I'm not good on the Star Wars myth, but whoever the next in line is in that. But it's, and, and it's truly, it's dedicated to, you know, the force, that force of love, that force of healing. And, and really what, you know, what Julio and Alberto stood for and what you've stood for and what Christian stands for and this lineage stands for is, is that medicine. But as such, they were really dedicated to correcting a lot of the wrongs that were done to people through these kind of the bad medicine that was out there. I mean, that was a big part of your apprenticeship was they would go in and people would need this healing and they would not only heal, but they would also in some ways encounter those other those other shamans. So the stories here, this is where it gets real sci-fi and fucking absolutely fascinating. And some of my favorite stories that I kind of go to bed at night just thinking about these these stories that you told me over the years. But uh, yeah, but just drop us into that world where you're not only learning, but you know they're bringing you along to heal people and also encounter in this kind of non-physical dimension these other shamans who had, who had put this bad medicine on people. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you, you got to understand an aspect of the culture. And in the culture, they, these guys are paid to do this kind of stuff. So they learn, you know, these dark arts. And you can think of it in the Star Wars mythology. It's a fine, you know, mythology. That mythology was written out of Joseph Campbell, who studied all of these tribal cultures. So they are directly linked. And, uh, you know, in the tribal cultures, there are the, the good guys and the bad guys. And the bad guys learn these consciousness arts. And then ultimately, in today's day and age, they get paid to perform this stuff on innocent people and uh, really hurt them, really, you know, really mess them up. And it could be, you know, there's lots of different kinds of these practices, but it could be like to get a limb to shrivel up and ultimately need to be amputated. It could be to, you know, destroy someone's marriage or relationship. It, they have to do all sorts of things to like really just hurt somebody's life. And, uh, you know, it's not believed 
in the, the general Western sense. There's no legislation around it. There's no notion that it's real in any kind of way. There's no laws about it. So uh, there's really no protection other than the lineages that have taken an oath and a stance to defend themselves and the innocent people from it. And, you know, when it happens, um, you know, those kind of people get real physical symptoms of being sick. And so they start to seek typically at first Western medicine and the way that they know it has a spiritual origin instead of like a pathogenic origin is that the Western medicine just doesn't work. It's just completely ineffective. So somebody could go with like crazy high fevers and their belly's swelling and their tongue swelling and they don't know why. And they go and they take anti-fever reducing medicine and anti-inflammatories and everything just keeps getting worse. And so then they take them to the shaman and then the shaman diagnoses them as, you know, having been attacked by another kind of shaman or paid, you know, in kind of an extortion scenario or something like that. And, uh, you know, then the, the shamans who defend this take that on. And uh, it has a it has a real, uh, you know, sci fi nature to it. The way it basically goes down is you set up a ceremony and you bring the patient into the ceremony and you're going to literally pull all the attack that's happening to the patient onto you and you're going to enter into head-to-head one-on-one dueling battle with the other shaman over the soul of the patient and it's on i mean it's it's so mma without that, a referee and, I, and and just to to clarify so when you actually pull that medicine it's like there's a the shaman becomes aware that his medicine has been pulled so whatever he did to that person you know, there's somehow, and explain how that works because, you know, you just have a patient. It's not like you get on the phone and you're like, who did you work with? And you call them up. You just have a patient. You don't know where they got the medicine. You know, you don't know what happened to them or who did it. But as soon as you pull that from them, then that other shaman who did it, somehow there's, you're linked at that point. You've, you've linked through that person into the space. Yeah. I mean, first, you know, the shamans who are doing this, they utilize spirits. And I know that that's a far pretty out there concept for a lot of people, but it's pretty, pretty just matter of fact. So they utilize mm-hmm. spirits and there's all different kinds. And there are ones that are communicative spirits and there are ones that are observing spirits. There are ones that are attacking spirits. There are defending spirits, healing spirits. I mean, it's, it's right out of Lord of the Rings, right? This is literally right out of Lord of the Rings. And the shaman is wielding these beings and you can see the beings in the visions. You can just literally see them. And it's like, yep, there's that guy. And there's that guy. And in ceremony, people are screaming, I'm seeing Archangel Michael. And another one over here is screaming. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the head medicine spirit of ayahuasca. And another one's like, oh my God, there's this demonic spirit around me. And another one's like, oh, there's an alien over there. I mean, this just becomes like common, you know, everyday normalcy. It's, it's hard to put it into perspective, but it's just like that. And so, when, when there's a shaman doing work on somebody, they want to see what's going on with it. They want to know. It's not just like they do some hex, like, you know, use some voodoo doll and then, it, and then that's it. But they actually like watch over this scenario because to ultimately get paid, they have to have their, you know, their work work. I mean, they're, they're, it has to function, right? And so the moment there's another shaman who gets involved, one of these com- communicative spirits basically tells the bad shaman that, another shaman's you know kind of getting in the way and then it's just game on i mean at that point it's like both no and it's a multi-dimensional field that has no beginning and end and so you can find each other from anywhere it's just consciousness against consciousness and uh it ends up becoming a consciousness battle 
And it looks like, uh, you know, the craziest multi-massive million player online game. And it looks like game worlds and you're in them. And the only difference is that what happens in those worlds uh, psychosomatically manifests instantly. So you get tagged and you know it. So I wanted to take a moment to give you the earliest heads up possible to check out the Fit for Service program if it's something that you're interested in. We're fully subscribed right now and there's going to be a limited amount of spots for 2021. So if this is something that calls to you, if you're interested in a community that's going to be able to be there for you, celebrate your victories, hold you in all of your defeats and share all of these ideas, start new businesses. I've actually been shocked at how many relationships we're actually having our first fit for service couple baby <laughs> that's coming in. I mean, people are meeting lifelong friends and allies and we're going through some amazing transformative processes. And it's really stunning to be a part of this community. And if it's something that calls to you, definitely check it out. We haven't even updated the website fully to talk about 2021, but I know that there's a limited amount of spots. So if you're interested, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service. We're looking at potentially going to Costa Rica next year. We're looking at a lot of beautiful spots in the world, and we would love to have you if this is something that calls to you. So check it out and apply now if you're interested so you can get ahead of the line if you're approved. So once again, go to aubreymarcus.com slash fit for service so in that world there's there's all kinds of almost like what you would say if you were going to reduce it to like a, a video game it would be like there's spells but they're not exactly spells they're different relationships that people have developed with plants you know like birotes are a dart that comes from a tree right that they actually learn that they die at the tree they learn the medicine of the tree and they learn this kind of dart energy and so one of the things one of the ways to attack is to like shoot darts right and Correct. that's just one of the things and then there's familiars which are other spirits that you can use like you were playing magic the gathering or something and you can summon your your creatures which are spirits that you've made alliances with you've found them in the envision state you've formed an alliance and you formed a partnership and then you call your spirits together and you can use your spirits to attack or you can use darts or you can use so talk about like just some of like the way this goes down because it's it's infinitely interesting to me. Oh man, it's it's infinitely it's infinitely consciousness and imaginary at the same time as then ultimately conjured into reality. I mean, the best thing is just to you know share a story about it. I mean, I remember mm -hmm. that I I you know got some beef with some indigenous guys. I had really like really upset this Brazilian tribe, and uh, they were really not happy that there was a foreign white guy inside the space with them, and so they came after me. And I don't know what's up with the indigenous people, but when when you end up in battle with them, they love to throw out the battlefield like the most beautiful like World Cup soccer pitch you could imagine that just goes everywhere. It's like perfect, tiny, like grass. It's cut absolutely flat. And on one side of it, like as far away as they want to be, they're just all lined up. And they're there in all their regalia. And around them are just their entire crew of spirits that they're going to fight with. And then on your side, it's you. And you better start invoking and calling them in or you're just going to get smoked. Like it's literally <laughs> like that. Like they're just going to come steamroll you and you're going to have some real, real, real problems. And so, I mean, I was up against like, uh, I don't know, they were, they were using these like massive dragons and eagles that were coming in from the sky. They had these giant skeleton warriors that were coming at me that were about 30, 40 feet high carrying these massive clubs. 
They had all these different kinds of like supersized jaguars and ferocious cats that were flanking. And then like coming down the middle, they were coming with like all of these spells of distortive kind of magic and witchcraft that just make your head spin out. So you can't even, you can't even remember your name. Like, so they were just like throwing literally all of this stuff at me. And so I just jumped in and I started to invoke all of these trees and then all the tree giants showed up and they came in with these other clubs and then they went forward, you know, probably like, I don't know, maybe like two, 300,000 of them and started taking the, uh, the skeletons out. And then over on my left-hand side, I looked over and coming down this mountainside is Alberto in a bunch of silver steel tanks. And he's in the top of one of the tanks shooting what looks like a 50 cal. And he starts just completely taking out all of the, the, uh, these like giant cat beast things. And then uh, I brought in this astral sorcerer and the astral sorcerer started to take out the spells. And then, you know, so the, that took care of that part of the flank. And uh, all of this took about, I don't know, like 30, 40 minutes. This was not just like seconds. This was like taking a long time. And it is super heavy. And, and you and have are all you different singing, kinds of... Are you singing Icaros then? Yeah, you have purely to. Psych- yeah. No, no, you're singing Icaros the whole time. You're playing the Shikapa, you're singing Icaros, and a wave hits you, and you just feel the weight of it crushing you, and you can barely sing. And then you have to sing medicine to be able to like repel it. And you're in the vision the whole time. There's no physical reality. And, you, you know, unless you have to puke, but it's really not recommended to throw up during that period of time because that's when they're pulling life force out of you. And so mm-hmm. it's just like in a game, you're losing your life force. And if you get knocked out, you're basically going to go down and you could potentially die. And so, you know, you're in it side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And it, like I say, it's fully psychosomatic in that moment. So as other things are attacking you and you're fighting back, it's happening in real time. And, uh, you know, ultimately we were able to defeat that group at that time and uh, release the nature of that spell. And then, you know, they just kind of had to accept the fact that we were in the in the game. But, you know, it was ultimately Alberto who did it. And that was all in vision. Like we're just singing and no one's talking. And then at the end of it, about three, four hours later, Alberto's there smoking on a mapacho. And I look at her and I go, tanks, right? And he goes, yeah, silver. <laughs> <laughs> he looks right back and I was just like, my head just like, boom, like, how could this be real? You know, how could this right. even be possible? But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, it, that's, that's how they do it. I mean, that's their notion of war. It's wild, man. It's yeah. unbelievable. And so I'm wild. assuming this was, this was after uh, Don Julio transitioned, right? When, yeah, he wasn't absolutely. That was no, that. I mean, you can but, imagine, I read another great story. When Julio transitioned, there were 35 shamans vying for his power. They believe when you die, you still have it in you. And Alberto and I were side by side looking at his dead body in the coffin. And we were sitting there with him. And I'm not kidding. I was stone cold sober. And it had been, you know, about a week, week and a half since I'd had any ayahuasca. And I was looking at his chest and it looked like in his chest, there was a uh neo iridescent blue purple kind of pastel energy ball just shining like this just going in his chest and he had been already dead for four or five days and this was right before they were going to bury him and alberto and i were there i mean it was really somber and sad and it was like a real heavy moment for us and i i looked at alberto and i'm like what's that and he says that's the inheritance like that's what's now going to be passed on and there were about 35 shamans that were vying for that at that time. And I asked Alberto, like, well, when are we going to do this? You know, because it was all going to go to him. And uh, and Alberto was like in, in about two weeks. 
And I was like, two weeks? Like, what are you talking about? What are, you, what are, we, what are we waiting for? Let's do this tonight. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and no, he was, he was unbelievably upset. I mean, this stuff had been going on in his life since he was a young child. And so he was literally letting everybody come who was going to vie for this thing so he could take them all out in one night and then take the inheritance himself so that there would be no doubt within the shamanic world who actually got the inheritance and why. So he was literally that? letting people come from all over the world to try to vie for it. Do you remember that night? You know. Oh yeah, happened? are you kidding? I went into it like the, scared off my head. It was just gonna be Alberto right. and me together in ceremony side by side, shoulder to shoulder. I was in my mid twenties. You know, Alberto is in his late forties and we were gonna now go up against like 30, 40 shamans from all over the world. And they had, you know, one thing on their mind, which was, you know, to take Julio's powers. And Alberto had one thing on his mind. And Alberto told me it was my responsibility to not let any of them mess this up. So he puts that on me. And I'm like, <laughs> no pressure. Like, you know, no pressure. Yeah, none. Like, no pressure at all. I'm like a like, two-year master shaman in this thing. Like, barely, like, <laughs> newborn, right? And and so we get in there. And and it's it's tough. I mean, you, you have to drink enough to get in and actually get the job done. And you can't drink too much to kind of, you know get two out there. It's got to be this like, you know, balance. And then we got in there and I was like, I was on the point of soiling myself just from the fear, let alone actually getting in the ceremony. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was unbelievably intense. Right. And so, I mean, the fear was like, like hair standing on end fear, just going into this thing. And, uh, it was unreal. Like we got in, it all started. The multidimensional field opened up. All the, the people just start piling in that are going to come and they're coming with just their everything. I mean, it looks like, you know, like the most massive battle ever in shamanic history is going to unfold basically like just literally hundreds of millions of spirits are piling up and they're all these crazy antagonistic like beast-like things out of the worst part of your imagination you could imagine it's like coming out of the depths of the collective consciousness that anyone has ever come up from demonography to like the worst of the worst like hybridized beings to the worst astral sorcery I mean, to just any bad movie you've ever seen like put it all in into one if anybody wants scenario. to like google geiger you know who, who did this war yeah just like the alien, worst thing. like whatever whatever we can think of and imagine exactly you know, like those put things, it all those in there. Are there yeah and so alberto starts in and i'm i'm waiting to have to do something right and alberto just comes in in the most powerful eker i'd ever heard him sing and he literally just froze them all in time and everything just like, it was like Xavier. It was like Xavier out of X-Men. Just everything goes, Dish. like that. Wow. And then he just pulls it from Julio's spirit and it all goes into him. And then he literally in one move just blows them all out of the space. Like it's just all done and over. Uh, and he looks at me and like, I'm seeing him and he's got it in him and he's glowing. And he's like now like 20 times his normal size sitting next to me. And he looks at me and he goes like this just so they could watch it happen <laughs> i was just like okay dude okay like, done done thanks like whew, can we get back to like our medicine now can we get some like happy ikaros like i need like a unicorn dude and i need i need some rainbows <laughs> like, it was unreal like it was an unreal moment man the stories yeah. from Alberto, and, and I'll tell some of my stories from Alberto because I got a chance to work with him. But the stories from him are always are always some of my favorite. And and I remember you told me one story that someone actually got mad enough that they came and visited you guys in the physical. 
and started shouting all of these kind of taunts and threats and saying, I know a thousand Icaros and blah, blah, blah. If you could just tell the story about how Alberto responded when that happened. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. Some guy came to us. We didn't know him, right? Uh, and he just showed up literally physically one day and he's like taunting Alberto. First, he asked him if he'd give him ayahuasca and he said no. And then he's like all mad at him and the guy's mad at Alberto and he's like, I know 19 indigenous languages. I'm like the best shaman. I'm going to come after you tonight and all this stuff. Right. And he's just like in his face and Alberto doesn't say anything. Right. Like anything at all. He just is totally calm. He's just sitting there like, bueno, vamos a ver. We'll see. Okay. Like that. And then the guy finally leaves. Right. So we go into ceremony that night and I'm like, Alberto, what are we going to do? And he's like, nothing. I'm like, what do you mean we're going to do nothing, right? And he's like, he's like, yeah, nothing. And we get into ceremony and the guy shows up and he's like, you know, all, you see him in the vision and his eyes are all bugged out and he's got these crazy ears, his tongue's all forked and he's spitting all this venom at Alberto, right? Right, he's like hate rapping him, right? He's like, just like, you know, like, just like totally, totally like, like, like peacocking, right? Like completely peacocking. And Alberto looks up at him and he goes, yeah, I only have two Icaros. One for healing and one to kick your ass. And then he takes that e-girl and he just goes, bam, and knocks the guy right out of the space. And that was the end of it. Yeah. He's like, you with all your 19 languages and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I got two e-girls. One to heal all these guys. One to kick your ass. Unreal. And the great part is that isn't even true because he has dozens and dozens of oh, Icaros. thousands, dude. He has thousands, thousands of Icaros. <laughs> but it's the most gangster thing you could possibly say <laughs> in that moment. And, you know, so when I went to go down and, and drink with Alberto and yourself and Christian and we brought a crew down there, you know, I really learned a lot. I learned so much from you already, but learned so much from just watching Alberto and it really reminded me and it's one of my favorite sayings that you can tell a spiritual master by the sound of their laughter because alberto's just hanging out he's got like a baseball cap on and he's just kind of he's just chilling but then you'll get him laughing and he's got this big barrel laugh like a laugh that just fills the whole room and a big smile but he's just so relaxed he's not trying to prove anything it's like being around like a world champion fighter they don't need to show anybody they're tough. If you're around someone who's world-class in their spiritual mastery, they don't need to show you that they're spiritual. They're not walking around with you know, their power amulets and all of their things and really trying to show you how badass they are. They just are. So what you feel is just laughter and friendship and love and like all of the greats, like that's what you experience. And so you know, talking about what to look for when you're looking for working with somebody, Look for someone who's not trying to put on a show because they know they got it. You know, they know they got it. They don't need to do everything else. And yeah, maybe when it's ceremony time, they'll put on their they'll put on their gear and whatever. But when it's a normal part of the day, they're not being they're not playing the role of shaman. They're not playing the role of guru. They're just being a dude or being a woman, you know, and just just enjoying their life. And that's where you start to really learn. And that was absolutely the case with Alberto. So I first meet him there. And then we get in ceremony and he starts with his Icaros. And I've never experienced any, and I've been with some amazing shamans, but he was literally controlling the forest around us. He could sing up the sound of the locusts. He could sing down the sound of the locusts. He could call the bats. 
you know, with an Icaro. And these were, you, you said, oh, these are Alberto's bats. And like the bats would start swirling and chirping and making the bat noises. And then he would sing the bats goodbye. It was an unbelievable level of mastery, not only with the medicine that he was providing, but what he was affecting in the physical. And it was like, holy shit, this is another level to like the way that someone can interact not only with the psychic state you're in, but also the physical state that surrounds and everything else that's in harmony with that psychic state in the collective, in the entire you know area that we were in. Yeah, I mean, he has an unbelievable ease with it. You know, he he has a really interesting story. He got he started to be trained by his grandfather. You know, at the age of eight. So this is that was that was primary school for him. All the stuff we're talking about was literally imagine if that were your primary school like second grade to, uh, you know, through high school, this was his education. And so he was a master shaman in his, you know, late teens. And he says he really started to become, you know, a, a potent shaman in his early twenties. And, uh, you know, so he has that, just that, that time in the saddle, he's been there for, you know, so many years practicing and he doesn't take it seriously. It's not, it's not like something that, you know, he, he, he's like, he just looks at you and he says, what else is there left to be scared about? You know, like it's just simple as that. Like, what else is there left to be scared about? We've seen it all in here. Like, that's what it is. Like, you know, take mm-hmm. it or leave it. And, you know, he uh, he believes that everything is interconnected. It's not all separated. And so, you know, we practice in our lineage from a notion that we are nature connected to nature through this thing that they call the Tukwatana or Nukatana, which means the force of life and the force of spirit. It's like literally what's making that forest grow. And it's why the the animals sing at night, and we tap into that for real. And there's no, there's literally no joke about that. And like you say, you've experienced it, and that's literally what it is. We learn to sing it up, we learn to sing it down, we learn to to work with the what we call the nature spirits, like wind and rain and clouds, and uh, you end up getting so tapped in and so in tune with nature that it it harmonizes with you, it syncs with you. And uh, over time, you make such a deep relationship with it through this idea that you're connected, not separate at all. You're not just walking through it. You're a part and parcel of it that you begin to be able to affect it more and more and more. And he has those abilities. Like you said, he can call the bats and the bats come and he can call the the insects and the insects will rise up and he can get them to play different rhythms with them. So he can get <laughs> yeah, the grasshoppers yeah. to be doing syncopated rhythms with his shikapa. And it's just like how, like, like how, dude, really? Yeah, it's and then like he just Jungle Little Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And then he just laughs, <laughs> like he laughs, he laughs, like, <laughs> and he goes back to smoking yeah. a mapacho and singing an ikaro, and he, you know, he takes his time in ceremony to be able to to do the healing. And you know, what I've always been impressed by is just how uh, how fast in ceremony, like the really trained people are you before someone even goes into distress their spirits already there like they're just that fast it's 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 unbelievable and uh you know again just a tremendous gift to have been able to be part of this lineage and to be able to learn through it i remember one of the things that i love repeating that he that he said was we can fix anything but dead you know and just that belief like you're still breathing you're still living all right like we got you like exactly That's his fundamental understanding is that everything can be fixed but death itself and that death is a transition into spirit. He doesn't believe that death is a finality at all. 
Sure. So death is a transition into spirit, and we were supposed to be this form for, for a period of time, but we are already eternal spirit, and we will always be eternal spirit. That's sort of the, the core of his ethos. And that's the truth that so many of us experience when we actually go into the medicine ourselves. It becomes not something that's an idea, because that's a great thing to read about, but then it becomes gnosis. It becomes you know, embodied knowledge. It becomes a part of us where we really understand that that's the truth. And that's the beauty of this experiential type of spirituality is that it becomes, it goes from theory to something you know. And there's no way for anybody to say like, yeah, believe me, take my word for it. I mean, you can describe it and say, you know, adopt this if you like. I know it to be true. Just like Alberto knows it to be true. Like you know it to be true. Like people who've experienced it know it to be true. But then, you know, you talk to somebody who's you know, in a materialist reductionist going by the science and you say, look, look, I, I'm not going to be able to convince you playing by those set of rules that this exists. And maybe quantum physics is starting to make some kind of, you know, ways in and people are opening their mind in that way. But ultimately, the only way to truly know is to know it for yourself. And I think that's the invitation and opportunity that going into ceremony like this often provides. That's the beauty of shamanism, though, is that shamanism never asked you as a as a field to believe. You know, all these other spiritualities say you have to believe first to be able to get into it. And that's sort of like the placebo effect. That's like making you get your mind into that framework already. The shamans just say, show up, come doubting, come believing, come, just come, have the experience. And it's entirely experiential. And through the collective experience, you ultimately learn more and more about yourself and the collective grows. It's a collective expression of consciousness. So the more people that ultimately in history that have participated, the more the, the sort of great uh, field of consciousness and shamanism has within it. And, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately it's not a question of belief. It's a question of efficacy. And I've thought that was ultimately the best thing about it was because it did it work. Someone comes for a reason. So if they came for exploration, well, did you explore? Or did you just sit there and not explore? You know, did you, if you came to learn, did you learn something? What did you learn? Tell me what you learned. If you came to have it affect your life, did it affect your life? How did it affect your life? It completely changed mine, right? Yeah. It, it, it made my life. It, it reshaped the nature of how I thought and how I felt and also the way I related to uh, people and to culture. And then it ultimately changed uh, a huge aspect of the, the culture around this by becoming something that could be shared with people from all over the world and really reviving these techniques that were dying out. And then, you know, someone like you come along and you're in this whole other space in consciousness and world and it finds you. And look what it's done for your life, right? And no. almost everything that I've said could be could be applied also to you and, and then in a different way. And it's just like this ever-growing fractal of how your life has been impacted and my life has been impacted and now millions of people's lives have been impacted and it just keeps growing and people keep having the experiences and that's what it's that's what's real. And anything else that people are saying about it is just another you know, thing that someone's saying, but it's, it's really going back to that point as well. Did it do for you what you were intending and did it do for you what you were asking? And in the case of these plants and the people who really wield them, you know, fundamentally the overwhelming answer so far has been yes, which is, you know, I think just fantastic. 
And so a lot of people listening are like, this all sounds, these are great stories, but I'm sure there's a lot of skepticism. And honestly, like, be skeptical. You should be. If you haven't experienced this, you know, enjoy the stories, you know, hopefully open your mind to the possibility. But if you haven't experienced it, I think that is a, that is a proper orientation to be skeptical. And certainly, I was even skeptical of the concept of bad medicine of people you know tinkering with that and i had you know an experience with my former partner whitney who went down and she drank ayahuasca at a place at a trip that i didn't go with her and uh, in a center that you know i don't recommend um and so she went down there and drank ayahuasca and came back and when she came back it was really interesting because i was expecting her to be in that kind of fresh ayahuasca glow just full of love and clean and limpia you know just all all drained out of all of any any kind of negative energy she comes back and she's like fuck this fuck consciousness i'm done with it and i was like whoa you know that's that's weird and she she had some stories that were positive in a way but she had some negative experiences with one of the healers there and this was prior to us going down to visit you and when we went down there i didn't say i didn't tell anybody about that i didn't talk to alberto about it i wasn't like saying you know i had no idea what was going on i was just like hoping that whitney would have a good experience so in the first ceremony this was this was the moment where i realized and experienced it for myself was Alberto was going around, and I think you both were going around, and you were offering a bentiata. And a bentiata is just, a, it's like a, a healing song, right? Like, how would you describe a bentiata? Bentiata is, is exactly that. It's where the shaman comes and specifically interjects into your field, Icaros, and we'll get to that, I think, a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, these chants that are to bring different kinds of spirits to you and make very specific changes. And it's to cleanse you and to straighten things out or bring certain kinds of healing. And they play the shakapa around the body. So it's kind of like around the body. And then it kind of creates a swirling in your energetic field. And then they just sing these ikaros into you and they call it a bentiada. So if you wouldn't mind, like just give us a little sample. So for, for people who understand, they can get, I mean, you sing incredibly beautiful ikaros, whistle them, however, but if, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little sample of what some kind of, you know, just general bentiata, like a general healing song sounds like. Sure. Limbia medicine Ayudangi 
Thank you for that, brother. So we're all we're all lying down, and everybody's getting the same bentiata. It's super melodic. It feels like a lullaby, and you know, there's a smile on your face, and it's it's very peaceful as this is going along. And there is <clears throat> five other people before they get to Whitney, who's lying down, and there was a cadence to it. You know, they kind of shuffle. Everything is so methodical. It's Zen-like. It's like a, almost like a perfect tea ceremony where the steps are measured, the timing is there, the smoking of the mapacho is the same. And it's just kind of moving in this very purposeful way, taking his time. And then he breaks into a bentiata, a song that did not sound anything like the lullaby you were just singing. It was staccato. It was almost arrhythmic in certain parts and it was intense i've never heard a song like that from any shaman from you from anybody at any point and at that point you know you were kind of singing along and going with these you know ikaros as well but you took a moment to come down and you kind of kneeled down beside me and you say hey man like hey brother i don't, I don't want you to worry about this but you know whitney's had some bad medicine and uh, Alberto's going to straighten it out, but she's going to be fine. So don't worry about anything. Because as soon as he did it, I just had, and I have it on my now, like hair standing up on my arm. I was like, what is this? What is going on? And he sings this and finishes it. And then back to the piece, you know, and, and I was comforted by that, still like a little, you know, shaken up, like, what, what the hell? And then, you know goes along and continues in his measured steps and administers to the rest maybe five other people who were there and moves through and you know that was the moment and i'll tell about what happened but yeah if you could just kind of you know jump in and, and share like what that moment what that moment really was and what was happening there <clears throat> yeah well i mean it you know when he had gone to a place where the shamans were super possessive and you know obviously by the reaction that she had that you talked about, it's like the exact opposite of what you were expecting her to come back with. Right. Right. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we're saying, you know, there's this thing called medicine and then there's this whole other stuff that is just another, another version of the shamanism, but it's not the love and light version. And it's not the, the helping you and healing you version. And, you know, during that period of time, there was a, a, kind of an internal uh, dispute amongst the shamans that she was working with. And there were a couple of people that were super possessive within that group that were basically like claiming the spirits or like claiming the souls of the people that they were working with. And, uh, you know, sounds really terrible and it obviously is, but luckily with a guy like Alberto, there is a, there is a way to solve that. Right. And so the way that they do that is that they, they put a spell on you that makes you feel all terrible and then makes you feel like, you need to go back to them to get it fixed because obviously something didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And so, you know, Alberto saw that in her and saw that there were these other shamans that were sort of in essence, like claiming her. So from his side, he said, well, these shamans came up to me and said like, well, why are you working on her? She, she works with us. She doesn't, she shouldn't be working with you. So this is after you guys go back to your chairs at the, at the front, at the altar you know, at the, at the space that you guys were at the front. And, and you told me later about this dialogue 
that you had with Alberto because in the way that you guys normally work, oh, you encountered somebody doing bad medicine? Oh, now it's time you go fuck them up. You go fuck them up, decimate them, and then you take whatever scraps of medicine they have. This is like the spoils of that. This was the game that you and Julio and Alberto were involved in. That's the um, game, but I really, works. I really, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how you stop somebody from going back and attacking again, right? You kind of have to take the the AK forty seven out of the two year old's hands. Right, right. You say <laughs> you fucked with the wrong person, and now there's consequences. There's consequences to what you were doing, but I really respect what what you said because you guys had a little dialogue, and we ca- I, we couldn't understand it. It was in Spanish and it was hushed, but I could see you guys communicating. And you said, you know, you told him. You said, look, you know, not tonight. You know, not tonight. There'll be another time for this. We're here to serve medicine to these people. We're not going to even even engage and and handle this. And I think that was a really kind of noble decision to make to say you know what's most important here is not teaching this shaman a lesson what's most important here is that we continue to serve the people who are here in ceremony with us yeah i mean i I, especially for you guys in that time you know we were there with really specific intentions about what we wanted to practice and it was just kind of an unfortunate scenario that she had had that experience and needed to have that you know taken out but, you know, like we also said, it was something that could be done pretty easily. I mean, it only took Alberto, what, five or five minutes, maybe 10 minutes of singing these other yeah, eight less, less, yeah, yeah just, five minutes max. Yeah, just, you know, and then that solves it. I mean, it's like an energetic disturbance in the body and then you sing it straight. You sing that that disturbance out and the sound vibrations from the ikaro go into the body and it just literally removes that that vibration that's there. And then typically what ensues after that is that, you know, sort of like galactic battle scenario that we were talking about. And, you know, I just in that moment, I didn't think, first of all, that the shamans involved were of a level that really merited that kind of, you know, heavy response. It just was like it would have been. Yeah, I mean, do you you don't you don't need to break call like the entire Air Force for a mosquito. Like no offense about the situation, but Alberto (laughs) represented like the Air Force and these people were, you know, not really that that powerful in that sense and also it really disrupts the ceremony if you get into that because then all the ikaros become those other kinds of ikaros right all right. of them become like going from this really beautiful melodic chill out super ecstatic place to this like really intense hair hair standing on end you know kind of like battle vibe and so didn't see any reason to have to inflict that on anybody in our group and also in general to the other shamans it was enough for us to just remove that spell and then be able to move on from it and at that time in my career too i was trying to progress the entirety of the practice from this retribution based understanding Mm -hmm. to something greater than that i thought if we were ever going to solve these greater problems of the you know the good guy and the bad guy problem we had to get out of this retribution response scenario and into something ultimately more forgiving it didn't mean that you didn't have to you know disarm the bad guy but it also didn't mean that that you had to go throttle the bad guy as well it seemed like if you you know responded that way you ultimately become an antagonist in your own right and so i was really trying to elevate the entirety of the space our lineage the mesa into that greater nobility to say hey there can be a measured response associated with this it's enough just to take away the things that they're doing that are harming others and then you know ultimately really teach them a a real lesson instead of you know quote unquote teaching them a lesson right 
like educate them that this is not really the best way to handle these things and let's do it through action. And, you know, I was coming up at that time with a way to be able to do that before the space was contested, you know, very much like land is. And you know, there's all these, you know, massive fortifications to try to protect what's yours. And uh, I was trying to come up with a way to get out of that in shamanism. Shamanism had equally the same notion of like these insane fortifications to protect yourself from the potential of all this other kind of bad that was out there or attack or, you know, any other kind of destructive force. And I was really trying to, you know, figure out a way to have it just be really all medicine and all love and all source and all divinity and all really the good stuff all the time. And so, you know, you showed up right at, in, in our lives, right at the time that we were in that transition. So this is, we've told a lot of amazing Alberto stories, and this is where we're going to transition to, you know, this incredibly significant gift that I believe that you've offered to the field of shamanism, because I think it's absolutely revolutionary. Because even working with other amazing shamans, the paradigm is you, you basically create a perimeter, you go around with ikaros, you fortify the internal space so that nothing else can get in. And if something tries to get in, it's like they're gunslingers, right? They're, they'll, smoke, they'll, they'll smoke the mapacho, they'll go, shoo, and they'll be like pushing always around the boundary, fortifying the boundary of everything in there so that the medicine can be held. And, and that's the paradigm. It's, it's very much in duality. You know, here's the good, outside is the bad. We're going to protect the good and keep out the bad. And in that mentality, you're still locked in duality. But what you were offering was a place beyond duality, a place of such radical love inside the space that all of those energies couldn't even access the octave and the vibrational field that you elevated the entire landscape of the maloka and of the space to. And so that, that almost became inconsequential. You didn't need to go out and walk the perimeter and shoot away bad energies and, and be in this kind of conflicted duality. You created this unicity in, in source energy, in love energy. And that is absolutely like paradigm shifting for the field of shamanism and that's really what we experienced when we were there with you i mean all of the yeah sure there was you know our challenges and there was the medicine that came in and and you know we had to grapple with these things that would come up and people did but the gentleness of the ceremony that you were you were offering was really remarkable and not only that one of the things it wasn't just the ikaros there was laughter even in the ceremony. And I've never experienced that also as well. There'd be times where the songs were there and you're interacting with the cosmos. I remember at one point I felt myself transform oddly enough into a triceratops and it felt incredible. And the thing about being a triceratops wasn't that I had a horn and the plate on my head and, and, and I was, had scales and I had hoofs. It wasn't that. It was the fact that I just felt my heart connected to everything in nature and i've never felt that as a human the human mind is able to kind of shield the heart and we're able to do things but as that animal being i was just it was so much love and so the fact that i was a triceratops almost didn't even matter what mattered was was how connected my heart was and it was such a beautiful space and and you would go and have these amazing visions in the 3d reality of the chrysanthemum of sacred geometry all of that but then every once in a while there would just be laughter you know alberto would be laughing you you're always really good at saying something it would it would crack him up 
I remember at one point, Christian, uh, Maestro Christian had food poisoning and he had to go have diarrhea out in the, out in the stalls behind there. And so you started making jokes with Alberto. I think you called him like the, the master of badass or something like that, <laughs> like Maestro Culo. And he started laughing so hard. And then we all started laughing and this feeling like, this doesn't have to be this scary, terrifying, hellish thing. This can be beautiful and it can still have laughter and it can still have joy, even when we're working on these challenging, you know, psychic processes that are going on. And it was just such a gift to be able to sit in that space. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was tired of this give and take between the good and the bad forces. And I wanted to find a way to be able to do this in that space of love and kindness and, and, really something much simpler, right? And so we worked for, a, I mean, an unbelievable amount of time and ceremonies and years on developing this understanding of what we called medicine world, which was something that didn't need the protections because by the time that negative stuff could get to us, it had already been converted by love into something that was truly benign. And everything within that space within us that most people would be scared of or, you know, thrashing around about would be so uh, like intramixed with the love, like that field that I was talking about, that interdimensional field being truly infused with so much love energy and with so much source power that it couldn't become that that push and pull and that, you know, strong eating the wheat kind of vibe. It was just really a true sanctuary and we developed that medicine world to be able to make that truly possible. It was based in universal definitions of, of love, which is we all share a universe, we all share source, we all share heart, we all share consciousness, we all share the movement and interaction of that consciousness as the infinite eternal totality ourselves. And in that presence of our wholeness, being centered truly in the heart and recognizing that and setting that intention of love, we knew that we were safe and that we were protected and ultimately, in essence, invincible to any of those other kinds of energies. And it allowed us to have a space of, you know, true fun. It, it was serious. I mean, it's always serious in the sense of how intense the experiences can be, but it wasn't serious anymore in the sense of being, you know, potentially harmful or, or you know, scary slash dangerous anymore. It had become a place that truly was now safe and protected for us to go as big as we needed to be able to go and come out the other side of it to be able to receive maximum transformation and healing. And, you know, medicine world was an evolution to shamanism. It was an evolution to the indigenous practices and, you know, hopefully something that will continue to be shared for a very long time. Absolutely. I mean, before you told me too, before, you know, there was, it was almost like uh, when you go to Thailand, there's Muay Thai fights on Friday nights, you know, like you go to Bangkok and like you go there and people are going to be betting and there's going to be, there's, it's going to be a contest and you know, Friday nights or even in bars, there's smokers, you show up and people sign up on a sheet and then they go battle each other. This was the paradigm. And, you know, if you were drinking on Friday nights, you know, oftentimes, and a lot of shamans, they wouldn't even drink on those nights because they're like, oh, that's fight night. You know, like we're going to, exactly. we're going to go on a Monday or Tuesday because, you know, and Wednesday, and, and these are going to be the days where, you know, we're not going to have to deal and, and enter into this, you know, kind of astral contest. So there was that aspect, but then there's also just kind of the, the chaos and disruption of if you're providing medicine and then you're having to deal with this other stuff, you have less that you can offer, you know, to your group that you're there with. And there's other energies, there's different songs, there's ways. So, you know, as you were 
in the evolution of this, you know, what was the difference you experienced in not only because we've talked about in what your experience was, but what was the difference in the medicine that you were able to offer, like what people were experiencing and how what formerly was chaos ultimately settled down. And of course, I'm sure there's still aberrations, but really settled down into a much more peaceful healing process for the whole group you're administering to. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it. It became ultimately more peaceful and uh, funny and interestingly enough in that deeper, right? Because the chaos only allows you to go so far. You can only go as far as the fear where it kicks in and kind of pulls you out of being able to go into the trance. And so the deeper you can go and the deeper into the trance you can go, the more healing and the more transformation you can ultimately achieve. And so by being able to maintain that field and that place of love, it allowed us to go really, you know, further than ever expected in ceremonies. And it, we, we noticed over the years, you know, going up to this sort of a over a five ceremony uh, trajectory, kind of a, an arc that it would take. And we started to notice that that arc got faster and faster and faster. And so, you know, all of a sudden the end of night one was like where we expected two years before that to be at the end of night four. You know, and then then night two was now a whole new world that had never even been available to us before because night five, we were wrapping it all up. And so it was like we were looking at each other stunned, like how could everybody in one night or two nights go through what had been five nights of ceremonies in terms of the work? So often people say like one ceremony is like 10 years of psychology. One ceremony was all of a sudden like 50 years of psychology. It was it had just mm -hmm. amplified exponentially. And it, it allowed us then to go into literally for us uh, what was a, a new pursuit of unexplored space. It was it was truly untapped consciousness that none of us had ever been in before and really limitless. I mean, it was like being plugged directly into source and being able to pull from that. And it, it evolutionized the ceremonies. New Ikaros came with a veracity we'd never seen before like getting hundreds of new Ikaros a night instead of like working years for new Ikaros. They were just flowing. Everything had become flow state consciousness. Uh, the amount of healing that was happening was like off the charts. The, the speed at which people were transforming and learning was, you know, exponentially faster. The amount of chaos was decreased. The amount of negative was decreased. The, when chaos or, or negative showed up, the speed at which it would come out of the ceremony and be dealt with was uh you know unbelievable and then ultimately it allowed us to expand the ceremonial house and space to be able to include a much larger a much larger area so we ultimately were able to to open up space outside the ceremonial house for people to be to be able to be outside and connecting with nature and ceremony because the space was just being held on much just such a much larger field that you know it it was just so expansionary so all of a sudden mm. people were outside in the medicine, they were inside the medicine with us, uh, you know, and and just better kind of on every metric you could imagine. And in the former paradigm, that's not possible because you set the perimeter. And so inside the perimeter is safe. It's very, it's very defined by, you know, the locality of what you're actually setting in, in the purview of what you're seeing, but setting that space more universally, you know, absolutely makes sense. And, you know, just to finish up the story with with Whitney after that, because really, as you said, you can only go so far as you're willing to surrender. And anytime you encounter that fear and then you, you pull up tight, you know, that's where the medicine is going to slow down. You know? So it, the more that you can surrender, relax, open up, that's going to be the faster healing that you can experience. So after working with Whitney from that point, 
the rest of the ceremony she started to surrender open more having more beautiful experiences subsequently she's gone on and you know had ayahuasca experiences that were extremely positive and her whole journey was shifted from that moment it was no longer fuck consciousness and all everything was there she surrendered and opened up to that and i think that was the gift not only that specific healing but also you know the space that you guys were holding which is which is really radical and for anybody who's interested in the specific invocation that you had for medicine world we actually recorded that on the second podcast we did which was the day after i met you because i was so interested in that we actually went directly into that so you know feel free to go back and and check that out but when we were talking a couple weeks ago you mentioned that there was even another evolution which was instead of worrying about setting this field you were like now we're we're actually setting the field within our own hearts and this was really like my eyes lit up when you were talking about that. So, you know, explain what this latest evolution to the medicine world is and how internalizing it, you know, further evolves this concept. Sure. Well, what we've we figured out how to do is now not only be the shamans ourselves being able to create it, but teaching the people that are in ceremony with us how to create it for themselves. And so it's allowed us to literally decentralize the ceremony. And so instead of the ceremony having to be in one locus, it's now allowed us to be able to make like uh, a, a decentralized network of us all over the world. And we're able to actually stream the ceremonies and stream the retreats and all get together through this incredible technological means and also be able to create like our own mini sanctuaries or our own mini medicine world and be able to, you know, connect them from all over the world. Uh, literally tomorrow we start a retreat and there's going to be people from over 30 countries in it. And so each one is going to be, each person is going to be taught from their own home how to be able to enter into this trance and into the state of consciousness, creating this medicine world for themselves. And then we're going to, through the stream, be able to guide literally every step of what plant dieta is. And we started dieting like we did with you with the rose, all different Mm -hmm. kinds of edible herbs and flowers to teach people how to be able to connect with plants that are common in their everyday life, but now through this spiritual means and being able to harness this greater, uh, you know, energetic context with it, especially during this time with COVID where there's been all this isolation and separation and quarantine and stuff like that. We've combined this idea of doing detox dietas and, you know, different kinds of fasts and or superfood detoxes to be able to really cleanse the body and boost the immune system and bring in the influence of the shamanic dietas, utilizing herbs and flowers that are, you know, part of our, our normal everyday life, teaching us how to have this spiritual connection. And then we're doing qigong and yoga and different kinds of body practices that we call flow qi that we created ourselves. And we're teaching people that aspect of the body connection to the spirit and then hosting these ceremonies where we're using ecstatic breath work. We have our own breath work practices that we call Trinity breath work that are very much like, you know, all the, the other kinds of ecstatic transcendental breath work that's out there to be able to get into the shamanic space for people who are in places where they're, you know, it's not legal to be able to interact with plants. They can use breath work mm-hmm. to be able to get into the trance state and really work with the, the plants that are part of the dieta. And Maestro Christian and I lead these retreats now taking people step by step by step through this process. So you can be a beginner to an advanced practitioner and uh, ultimately be taken to as deep as you want to go into this process and learning how to be able to create this medicine world and sanctuary for yourself as a benefit to your own spiritual practices, but also to literally every aspect of our lives. 
That's so beautiful that you're offering that because, of course, you know, people aren't going to be drinking ayahuasca in these 30 different countries and dropping into ceremony that way. So we need the vehicles and these tools. And breathwork is the most powerful tool I know. Ecstatic dance is great as well, but breathwork is the most powerful tool to create these altered states of consciousness. But to combine that with the wisdom that you've carried from creating the medicine world um, is extremely, extremely exciting to even think about that possibility. So I'm excited to check that out myself for sure. I think there's two things I'd, I'd love to cover. One is the concept of dieta uh, is something that I think is important is important to cover. And then I'd love to you know get some get some cliff notes on how to generate that medicine world within ourselves because a lot of people listening are going into their own plant ceremonies, mushrooms or whatever plants that they have. And so I think it's a great tool to have. Uh, but explain the concept of what a dieta is and how you're interacting not only with the plant and the physical, but interacting with the plant consciousness, You know, like I experienced thanks to your guidance uh, with Mama Rosa, with Rose. Yeah, well, you know, fundamentally to Amazonian mythology, the plants are living beings that have this life force and they call it spirit, but it's really just the life force of the plant itself. And so the shamans over, you know, generations and generations of practice figured out how to be able to tap into this life force and really connect with it and commune with it. And so a tea is is made. Uh, the tea is not psychoactive or typically visionary in its own right. Like if you just make rose tea, it's just rose petals and they taste a little bit like rose, but uh, you, you create these invocations that really awaken the spirit of the rose and the tea. And then you consume the tea in conjunction with this process called dieta. And it's a kind of fast that you go into. So in these retreats, we offer water fast or a parsley lemonade cleanse, or for those that need more calories and energy, a superfood smoothie fast where people are really like super energizing the body, but then practicing intermittent fasting. So they're having two smoothies morning and afternoon and then fasting until the very next morning. And uh, we create the teas together. We give you a list of all the different teas and different kinds of uh, blends and properties that they have. So you can really pick the ones that are connected to the kinds of intentions that you would have. And then we walk you through the process of being able to invoke the spirit. And we teach you how to go into the sanctuary medicine world yourself. And then we do it all together through the through Zoom and we use uh, Telegram as a means of communicating, you know, so we have this chat that's going on and there's this really community based vibe that's happening. And we literally walk you step by step through it and we all do it together. And then we drink the tea and we go into the fast and then um, you start connecting with the spirit of it. I mean, like you can speak to that, you know, I mean, it's like yeah. first you think I'm just drinking a tea and then all of a sudden you start having these psychological changes starting to happen. And no it, doubt. It, <laughs> so my, my diet was 21 days and, you know, not only is it drinking the rose tea, but and it's opening the ceremony and then, of course, closing the ceremony, but it's interacting with that energy. And I felt like Rose was a constant guide for the entire 21 days. And also there's some other rules too. You're not supposed to have sex or think about sex or dream about sex because in the Amazonian culture, there's very little you know, difference that's made between what you do in physical reality, what you're dreaming about and what you see in vision. All of those are very much real. And I think you told that story about when you first went down to Alberto and Julio, how they would tell you a story and you wouldn't know if they saw a jaguar really, or if they dreamed of a jaguar, or if sure. they saw one in a vision, they would just say, I saw a jaguar. 
And like that was just as real to explain it. It could be anything. So which is totally confusing for us because we want to clarify, well, was it a dream? Was it a vision? Were you on medicine? Did you see it actually in the jungle? And they're like, no, I saw a jaguar. Like, what What more do you want? Exactly. You know, like, I told you all the pertinent information that you need here. I don't know why you're asking me more. So, but anyway, so, you know, not, not even thinking about sex, which not even thinking about the spicy foods and all of these other indulgences. And it puts you in this really open state and I remember not only experiencing Rose, which came to me as this unbelievable, thanks to you, you, you helped call it in, but this gigantic, gigantic force, this entity that was so vast and so fractal, it was almost impossible. And it was just all rose petals and this kind of warm, like loving maternal energy. But the thing about the rose is the rose just isn't the petals. It's not just the beautiful scent. It's also the thorn. It's also you know, the stem, it's also the leaves, it's the entirety of the plant. So I had lessons that I learned about the thorn, about how to hold boundary. And about sometimes, I remember when I got mad during one time in this, and I had this vision that I was this gorilla and I was holding and crushing the flowers in my own hand. And I was holding, had the thorns out like a little club. And I was attacking the person I was angry at with the thorns. And it was this horrifying thing. And I was like, oh man, that's not medicine. That's not how you. That's not how you interact. And it was this stern lesson of like, don't be the gorilla crushing the love of the flowers and using the thorns to hurt. That's not what rose medicine is all about. It's about staying still. And if someone's going to trample you, they'll feel the thorns. Trust that, you know. But also, what your job is to be the flowers, to be that white rose of medicine and love. And that's just one example of countless lessons that I got from that. And after a successful diet, you know, you're often offered an ikaro, which is the song of the song of the plant. And I was terrified about this. I was like, oh, this is not going to happen. I thought maybe I'll write a poem because I'm just not musical. You know, I, at that point, particularly, I wasn't even playing the flute or anything then. So I was so unmusical. I was like, this is never going to happen. And I remember, you know, right at the close of the diet, this, this, you know, song came in and it was very simple. And it's just, and that became like my medicine ikaro and it had you know i had words that i could sing along to it but I still use that to this day. And sometimes in ceremony, like I can call that energy forward either for myself and then using the bridge of my imagination with vision, I can bring like the petals to fall down on myself and just feel like the, the energy and connection of the rose. Or even if I'm working particularly with my wife, Vailana now, she's so spiritually open. You know, if she's going through a challenge, I'll whistle the Ikaro and I'll call Rose, you know, and and rose will come and i'll imagine the white flowers falling in and she'll feel it you know she'll feel the difference and so it's just this small little modicum of medicine that i got from my you know 21 day dieta which by the way on day 18 i had a full-on wet dream totally totally failed the mission but you know of of not thinking about sex or dreaming about sex i did pretty good volitionally but uh, at a certain point my body kicked in but i think that you know as you explain like look it's it's part of the diet you do your absolute best you know and sometimes the dreams are gonna the dreams are gonna do what they do i mean i'm a 34 year old having a wet dream it was quite an odd experience 
but um it's just such a it's such an amazing you know technology that that really allows you and and i think i was expressing like as you said you know not it's not about it's not a full pass fail it's like can you dedicate yourself to learning in the greatest degree from this plant harvesting the lessons you know gaining some access to the medicine and you actually hold some of that energy of the of the plant itself of that living being you know of course there's the physical aspect of the rose but there's the energetic aspect can you hold some of that with you in your body for medicine for yourself and for medicine for everyone else you know that you can help serve that medicine to and it's been uh it's the only dieta i've i've done but it's something i think about all the time i mean it's you know i have roses tattooed on my on my forearm and i think about it frequently and it's certainly a practice i'd love to engage in again so the fact that you're you know offering this in a way that people can get access to this what really is an indigenous technology is is really amazing because you know as a world right now we need all the medicine we can get yeah no i i agree you know we were looking for a way to be able to share this kind of practice for a long time and you know over the years it took us 15 years to develop the tools and techniques to put something really powerful together and ultimately the combination of the dieta and the body practices and the ceremonies really does create a full-on experience from your home which you know it's hard to believe at first and even even when we first started we we wanted to test it out so we got you know a lot of kind of our crew together our community who had been with us for a long time and said you know let's test how strong this is and they were writing us back like oh my God, we were fully all connected. It was just like being in the Amazon together, full on visions, full on telepathy between each other, totally connected, learning from the plants, that essence coming into us like you're talking about. And uh, the responses were strong enough for us to, you know, put it together into something to really offer, you know, now uh, going forward, I think probably for a really long time, regardless of what happens in terms of the in-person retreats, the Trinity retreat, you know, that we, we've created is just, uh, it's something that's really, really amazing. And the fact that people can access it from their home and that it's legal literally anywhere in the world and utilizes uh, techniques that for some, you know, are more approachable, not so scary, you know, not having to go all the way to the Amazon to be able to tap into and to be able to get an experience of this, you know, of what we're talking about and also having the ability to to go as deep as you want to go, you know, is, is something that's really nice. And uh, I think one of the real beauties that people have been telling us from these experiences is that they're getting a whole new respect and understanding for plants. The plants really are becoming part of them and they're feeling the connection and they're learning from that connection and uh, that's something that's really special to be able to share with people. You know, at this time where, where they're supposed to be isolated, well, you're not isolated from the plants and the plants can become part of you and you can have a whole new appreciation for this other kind of life force that's been here longer than us. You know, plants have been here longer than humans. And so it's really incredible to be able to tap into that technology in a new way and learn about it from the comforts of your home. And uh, to be able to do it over a weekend and have it be so much more accessible is something that's really special for us. Yeah, absolutely. I remember too, and one thing that you know I've I've kind of missed, um, you know, uh, after talking to you about you know making these allies with these different energetic entities, which often appear as animals, 
during the dieta, I had no psychoactive substances at all, just a very clean diet. I was in isolation. I was in British Columbia and in Sedona for a little bit by myself. But I remember I started interacting with different energies and different what seemed like beings in the astral. And they became allies. I remember there was a big, they were mostly maternal, like a big mother brown bear, a big mother tarantula, some different snakes. And they had different purposes. You know, one could help eat some anxiety. If I had anxiety, I could call on one of these snakes and it would come in and it would just eat the anxiety and go away. And I remember as I was experiencing this, oftentimes there would be this kind of um, almost like uh, an aggressive an aggressive interaction at first where like I would see the snake and the snake would go to attack me. And then if I tried to like wrestle with it and if I tried to fight it, it was just this perpetuating this cycle and it was taking forever, you know? So I think there's this idea of dominion through strength, but really the dominion came with surrender and love saying, you know, I am source, you are source together. We are, you know, we're both source. We're both the same. And so when that, when I, whenever I felt that energy of conflict, just continuing with that and just being love. And so if the snake came, came, you know, came at me to come and bite me or something, it was, it was just reminding that. And then ultimately all of that would calm and I would form these, these allies. And I haven't like kept up psychically with the allies, but I can remember them really visibly. But I think the most important thing is, and I've encountered this also subsequently in other ceremonies where even dark energies have come. And when I've shown up in in this kind of love, in this state that you're talking about, getting yourself to that medicine world of love and surrender, and this kind of unshaking confidence that when we are actualized as love as a being, there's nothing aggressive that's going to come. There's no power that's greater than that power, than that source energy, love energy power. So there's nothing to fear. And then you start to, it unravels these situations, but you you not acting in fear or in conflict and acting out of duality, acting out of union in love with these beings, it makes everything just really smooth. And you start to form these kind of alliances with these energies, or if if it's a, a really negative energy, it just goes away. You know, it's just as like, oh, this is not the place for me. I'm going to go someplace where I can find fear and I can find, you know, somebody to fight. And, and when you're not in that place, it just, it really changes everything. Well, the beauty of the, this idea of the medicine world is that you harness what truly is the most powerful in, in spirit. So, you know, what, what antagonist is there ultimately to love that can maintain that that antagonism in the presence of love and, you know, ultimately nothing. And so there's this, you know, vast duality of wanting to fight it out in fear. And when you surrender to love and give it all back to love, all the beings associated with it, just they, they lose all their potency. You know, they just, they just, that whole like raw beast, like, you know, vibe just totally chills out and comes down. And, and ultimately there is nothing to fear in it and there is nothing to fight. And that's such a liberating state to be in, you know, to be able to witness your own fears and anxieties and, you know, things that get us, you know, bent out of shape and ultimately realize that we can surrender them to source and be able to find that equilibrium and balance in, in a way that's just so much faster and, and more efficient and, and easier for us. And that's something that the idea of, you know, this medicine world gives us learning how to, to invoke it for yourself and learning how to train in it and experience it. Uh, ultimately keeps you in a centered place no matter what's happening. 
And that's what allows you to be your best. And so I think of, you know, for the people that are really interested in this, you know, optimization of themselves and optimization of whatever their pursuits or practices are, the, the more centered, the more relaxed and the more receptive you can be in the face of anything and everything that's going on around you is how you can always tap into that highest potential that you have and actualize on that potential. And, uh, you know, this is elite consciousness training and it's, it's actually simpler than harder. But if your consciousness is in a balanced, open, receptive and uh, loving state, that can make you, you know, better in literally anything you're doing, whether it's your family life, your business, if you're in the ring in an MMA battle, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If, if you're centered and open, you'll be faster than the other person that's in a state of reaction. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that's where the real power of this is. What are some, you know, what are some, you know, basic, basic tips that you offer? And of course, for, for the full thing, you know, I absolutely encourage people to go take the Trinity course, if that's what it's called, or whatever programs that you're offering. But for, for anybody who's just listening and wants to be able to find that state within themselves, either, you know, during ceremony, before ceremony, or just in daily life, you know, what do you instruct as a way for people to access, you know, what is always true within that state of love? I think the, the number one thing to work on, and it, it's not hard, it's really not hard, but it's to recognize that the heart has more purpose than just beating. It does more than just pump blood. And the brain is an organism that we've trained a ton, but we haven't done a lot of heart training. And so it's sort of like lucky if you fall in love and it turns on or you feel really passionate about something, people just sort of like act like that's some randomness. And I think that the real training is just to get the brain and heart in balance and to let the heart have its own space like we let the brain and the mind have its own space and that we ultimately train that more than just, you know, cardio or what it is to be in a kind of passionate, romantic kind of state. And that can be done with simple meditation, you know, trance ceremonies, or you can participate in something like Trinity retreats and, and really, you know, give that some, some focus and some time to bring that into balance. But that's where the real potency comes in. That's where the real power is. You know, when I always, you know, said, if, when you're in battle and you're, you're facing battle, if you can be in a state of absolute relaxation, no fear whatsoever, you can see what's coming before it's even coming. It makes you just that much faster. You become real time and in a true flow state. And that literally comes through the heart. The brain is completely reactory. It requires sensory input, computing, and then action. And the heart doesn't. The heart represents a field that's always real time. And it's, it's literally the 4D space of time. So it's like there's space time and the brain is always reacting to the movement of light and what's happening in space time. And the heart is always there in the field emanating and receiving within that. So when you can get the brain and heart into a state of balance, then uh, it puts you into flow state and you truly are at your best. And that starts with intention. So it just starts with the intention that there's a recognition of the purpose of that. And I think for anyone who wants to be at their best, it, it's a really simple intention to have the heart and the brain both in equal balance to each other. And so mm -hmm. since we've done so much brain training, we just need to give some time to the heart. And I think that, you know, like pre-workout or, you know, waking up in the morning, going to bed, just two to three minutes is all it needs. It doesn't need a lot of time. It's a very fast organ to balancing and recentering with the rest of sort of the totality of, of space time and what's going on. Whereas the brain really chews on stuff and thinks about stuff a lot and kind of gets wrapped up in its own thinking, the heart's not like that. So just a couple of minutes to let the heart really just be free 
and let the brain, if you imagine the heart just being like a field bigger than the body, just you can give it any color you want, but just a field of energy bigger than the body and the brain just floating and resting within that field of the heart and breathing into that space and taking long, slow, deep breaths for a couple of minutes and just intending for that balance to exist is really the first place to start. And uh, just telling yourself that it's important to have that balance and to cultivate that balance in your life. And then little by little, you'll start to realize that you're living from that space. It's like finding your center of gravity in your body. It ultimately is centered in your, your consciousness world. Your mental world is centered inside your heart. And you become you know, really strong to uh, the, the stimulus of what's going on around you. So I think that's like really the first place to start. Yeah, I love that image of just focusing your energy because you can, you know, using your thoughts and imagination, you can then allow the heart to have that space. I mean, the brain is a powerful tool, but bending it, you know, to your purpose and your desire to choose to do that and then imagining that heart field expanding and then knowing that the thoughts may come in your brain and things may happen, you know, the brain actually produces thoughts like the heart produces beats. It's just going to happen, but creating that field that's you know so expansive and then allowing your brain to float in that and have its thoughts but just you know breathing into that field from your heart expanding and i think people you know we we aren't taught how much agency and how much power we actually have to be able to choose to do something like that we think we need some you know some other kind of guide or some other special special technique but it, it like you said it becomes really simple and we understand that we're powerful enough to do that. And just having that one mechanism of imagining your heart field expanding and expanding as wide as you want. It can encompass the room. It can encompass the world. And then your brain is just floating in that. But the field that you're identified as is that field of love emanating from the heart. That simple thing, I think, is incredibly powerful. And it you know it goes back to the initial medicine world that you talked about and you, know, you explained on the podcast. It's finding that place of source energy and love in your heart seeing how it's connected to all things and then changing and shifting your point of identity to that rather than the identity of the brain you know this kind of brain centric idea that we all all too often have and uh incredibly powerful when you can do that yeah and you know it just takes a little bit of practice i think the thing that is uh you know the the big obstacle for people is just the idea that they don't know how to get started so it just, it seems all too out there or too difficult or, you know, how do I even meditate, right? And then, and too much time. So I see those as like really the, the, the big things that keep people from these practices. And so over the years, I've tried to find the things that are really the simplest and the fastest and the most effective to making dramatic change in our lives. And so, you know, I, I love spiritual practices that I do alongside my normal practice. So if I go to the gym, now I can turn the gym into how I do my spiritual practice. If I have to be at a computer all the time, I can turn how I'm at the computer into my spiritual practice. And I can, I can transform my daily interaction into the growth of my spirit and into the growth of, of the, my, my spiritual practice. And what I mean by that isn't something separate to uh, you know, life. It's, it's how you approach life and how you do it from your very best and from your most optimized space. So like, to me, your spirit is your core essence. It's what makes you, you, and it's a miracle. It's unique to anybody else. So if you think right now about you, there's no copy of you, clone of you, or other you in this whole universe. 
And the universe is huge. The universe is like billions of galaxies and there's you. And to me, that's a fundamental miracle. And that is your spirit. That is how you are absolutely, truly 100% unique. And when you tap into that uniqueness, that's when all of your talents come out. That's when your true, uh, you know, ability beyond the abilities that anyone else has gets awakened. And so ultimately I found that the nexus of that was in our hearts and it gave the power to the brain to get sort of out of our own way and out of our own blocks to where we could fully harness that potential. And it, it, uh, you know, it was truly enlightening. It awakened, you know, anybody and everybody and, uh, something that I thought that could be really powerful for all of us to share in. Amazing, man. So where do people go if they're interested in the Trinity retreats? Uh, you go to bluemorphoretreats.world. And we have a, cool. you know, a beautiful website there. And uh, it's got all the information on it. It breaks it down into the three main pillars. So just go to bluemorphoretreats.world. And you see how the retreats are based in the idea of detox cleansing and shamanic dieta, ceremonies and body practices. And it really does become... A, uh, a really full holistic expression of mind, body, spirit. It's a reset. It's a realignment, and it's a it's a way to completely you know reactivate and turn our our total capacity back on. Well, Hamilton, give my love to Christian. I haven't talked to him in a while either, but uh, but send him my absolute best. And it's a, just a true pleasure to get to connect with you like this and uh, and share some stories and. Um, and you know, I, I want to do this again at some point. There's still some stories that are my favorites that we didn't even get to. Some some stories from the old gunslinging days, which uh, which are which are amazing, and and just always the wisdom that you have, and uh, from traversing and and experiencing all this yourself. You know, it's not like you had an idea about this and then you know you're just telling what somebody else said. You know, you're out there experiencing and act- actually feeling it and living it. And, uh, and that's just such a wealth of knowledge and expertise and, um, just forever grateful, uh, for what you've offered to me and, and what you're offering the world. Yeah. I, you know, I really appreciate that. I, you know, I'm super grateful to you too. I've always appreciated the bond that we've shared in our friendship over the years. And, uh, you know, I'd love to, to talk with you off, obviously as often as we can, you know, whenever we get that I chance to, to be able to connect, it's always a joy. And I really appreciate it as well. It's been an un- unbelievable gift. And, you know, I've been following your trajectory and I'm just so proud of you and, and you know, really, really stoked with the progress that you've made with, you know, all of your pursuits. And uh, it's just an unbelievable pleasure to be able to connect like this. So thank you so much for letting me uh, to be on your podcast again. And, uh, you know, to all the listeners, much love to everybody. And thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you so much, everybody. I hope you guys had as much fun as I did on this podcast with Maestro Hamilton Souther. Definitely check out his program, The Trinity Retreats. It sounds super interesting to me. I'm so glad that he's doing this in a digital way. And more than anything, I hope that it awakened you to the potential that we all have within our own heart and perhaps the possibility of other things going on in the universe than we maybe thought possible. I'll see you guys next week. I love you so much.